I did a Tough mutter, and now that I, I think about it, it'd be awesome uh, if at every obstacle there was just a nice little orange flag you could take home with you, and you got to stuff it down your pants and run on to the next. There you go. I, I still do that every day. I love to get up every morning and take an orange flag and stick it down my pants. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of the highlights. Kind of- Please enjoy the show. Nothing important podcast. My name is Brian, and with me, as always, is Dave. Hi, Dave. How you doing, guy? Does anybody understand the irony of NFG gear? No. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. <laughs> and uh, and on the third mic is somebody I'm assuming also doesn't understand the irony of MFG gear. Jeff, hi. I personally wear GNF gear. You guys got to fill me in. I have oh, no idea oh, what either so you, of you. You've you stumped give, me. Jeff gives no fucks. I am no fucks. Right. <laughs> NFG. I'm so lost. Is a fucking thing. It's like a, it's like a subculture or whatever, and it stands for no fucks given. But it's people okay. that they don't give a fuck to the point where they have to tell you how much of a fuck they don't give by putting <laughs> massive they have, pay, they have to pay somebody. To make T-shirts for them to prove how much of a fuck they don't give about stuff. Yeah. Right. Right. Nothing. Nothing shows you don't care like mass-produced apathy. Exactly. <laughs> which, <Yes. laughs> which, by the way, which by the way is the name of my new pop punk band, Mass-Produced Apathy. <laughs> CD's coming out next month. It's pretty awesome. But I, but, uh, I, I was driving by it, a car the other day, and they had this. It, the sticker took up the entire back window. NFG. Not once, not ever, not whatever, you know, something, three knots. And then, like, the dude in the passenger mm-hmm. seat's got an NFG hat on, and the quarter panel's all dented in, and the hood's being held on by a fucking, uh, uh, rubber, you know, rubber band? What do you call those things? Bungee cord? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, apparently you oh, give no fucks about rubber thingy. car. <laughs> No fucks. Maybe yeah, that's I, the new thing for them because they give no fucks. Yeah, they give no they fucks. They just buy a random car and instead of having it wrapped in their advertisement, they just go and beat the shit out of it and then put a real crappy vinyl sticker on the back of it. No fucks given. That's dude. their I advertising always, gimmick. Mm, I always I always like it when people wear stuff like that at like theme parks. <laughs> like <laughs> because I I feel like since they go out of their way to let people know that they don't give a shit, like that is their their opportunity to really show a mass amount of people that they don't give a shit. Exactly, it's like cheaper than it's cheaper than taking out a billboard. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, because but it's the same principle. They're going to walk past. Yeah, they're, guarantee they're going to walk past at least a few hundred people throughout the course of the day. Who who's going to know that that they don't they don't give a fuck? <laughs> like, right, and uh, th- those kind of people, I feel like like as they're wearing the shirt and they're standing there, they probably think that. Um, that they're somehow putting everybody else on edge by being so defiant and so in your face. Right. You know what I mean? Like like uh like they're probably standing in line thinking like man, but nobody's going to say shit to me when like nobody's offended or intimidated. Everybody's just like 
Um, what a dork. Why is that guy wearing that shirt? <laughs> like, 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 I guarantee there's nobody be like, whoa, man, I don't want to tell that guy to move up in line because well, I was just saying, do they, he, he doesn't give a fuck quite clearly. Yeah, do you think they ever, I mean, like, tap out, it has a whole bunch of flames on it. Shit, man. <laughs> well, do you think they ever, like, they cut in line, and then someone would be like, hey, motherfucker, you cut in line. They'll just be like, dude, read the shirt. No fucks given. Like, Come on. <laughs> everybody like, oh, oh, no. Oh, oh, I get it. Oh. Guy, yeah, I'm not no, going to no fight fun. that guy now. <laughs> I had full intention yeah. of throwing him into the water here at It's a Small World <laughs> over the tiny bridge. But because of that shirt, fuck that. I'm not going to mess with that shit. I was going to establish <laughs> boundaries and stand up for my beliefs, but fuck that. He's got an NFG shirt on. <laughs> <laughs> and you you know, people like that are just laughing to the bank. Oh, yeah. Like, because, they're they're the, the ones that, that really don't give a fuck because they're taking advantage of stupid people and cashing in on it. They're the ones that really don't see, give a fuck. That's kind of like one of my big issues with a lot of like Harley guys. is uh, I, I used to run hotels in Daytona Beach, and every year they would have this huge motorcycle rally. Yep. And it'd be people that were very obviously like lawyers and doctors and school teachers who just happened to take off that week. So they could wear a bunch of leather, ride around uh, with you know a group of twenty friends, and pretend that they were these big crazy outlaws. That's right. Like that's all they that's all they want is the image. Like, like oh shit. Like, and I, I got to be honest with you. It's I'm not an easily to I'm not an easily intimidated guy, but it, I feel like it makes it even harder to intimidate me if you're wearing assless chaps. Like there's nothing, there's nothing about a pair of crotchless pants that to me right. says that you're you're a badass. Not a and single Brian, thing. Just so you know, all chaps are assless. By definition are, of a chap. Oh, oh, nice. Okay. Well, I just want to put emphasis on on the assless. On assless. They're super yeah, well, assless. Like there is no even a hint of. It, it's so assless. They're not even there. They took out extra material to where it's actually <laughs> it just, just goes, it just covers, it just wraps shins. around your ankles. It's from the knees it's down. It's a belt and a strap that goes down and then just wraps around your ankles. <laughs> it looks like those like in, invisible leashes that you buy at amusement parks that like are supposed to look like you're walking a dog. Yeah, much like that. I got gotcha. you. Okay, that makes just, that makes a ton it's of just sense. Just a wire frame. <laughs> <laughs> Made by NFG, of course. <laughs> yeah, that's of right. course. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going through airport security because I give no fucks. It's not a fucking <laughs> garment. <laughs> uh, I don't remember what I was gonna. Oh yeah, Dave, 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 Dave. Brian, your band. Brian. I got to see. I got to see your band a couple days ago, and uh, that is the first time I've ever seen you not play a guitar. You were playing a trumpet. That is right. Yeah, I've switched to the trumpets. trumpets. <laughs> yes, yes. We played Mambos 1, 3, and 7. Remember, only Prime Mambos. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Mambo number Prime. I remember that. That was a good callback from like two months ago. Actually, uh, we do do a song. We do do, huh? Um, there is a song in our repertoire you did not see called the Mardi Gras Mambo, which would have mm-hmm. been funny to me to see us actually do a Mambo. But yeah, I was, I was rocking the trumpet. Um, I basically second trumpet. There's a four-person horn section, trombone, saxophone. Much better trumpet player than myself and me. I yeah, take, you were hmm. rocking out though. I did take a solo. Yeah, you did. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. you did. And um, it, it was uh, 
a lot of dudes on a lot of big dudes on stage too. Yeah, you we, have no small people in your band, my friend. It's a kind of a hefty band, and there's nine of us. <laughs> and the smallest so guy is even, the drummer. <laughs> so even a touring like a tour van would be like a clown car. Right, yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> you pull up in the John Madden bus and it would be like we're all spilling out because there's lack of room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah, it's, it just made me realize that. And then the drummer is a small guy, but he's got a big drum set, so it's like there's no <laughs> compromise at all. <laughs> and the place that the place that you were playing was tiny. Yeah, it's, we we really had to cram on stage. I don't even know if you can see Bridget, the female singer, or the mm, guitar who, player. Now, who's who sings in your band? Is that the keyboard player? Yeah, yeah, Kevin, Kevin, the keyboard player. Gotcha. He he was kind of hidden, and it's always weird watching a band play when you can't see the lead singer. Mm-hmm. It, it's almost like you're playing with a track, but obviously you're not. It was it was it was odd, but there was a lot of people there. It was a lot of fun. So yeah. I want to say uh, it, it was, I'm glad that we came down and saw your band. It was very good. I'm glad you guys came down and supported me. That was a very pleasant surprise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where where were you, De- uh, Jeff? Yeah, Jeff. What day was it? Uh, Saturday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I was cleaning my house. Lame. Uh, so I was at home. <laughs> oh, I understand. That's uh, that's way that's way more fun than watching me play Mario Kart <coughs> music. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, obviously. So that's why I did it. <laughs> did you go check out "Here Come the Mummies" at the uh, Castle Theater on the sixteenth? Uh, no, I stayed at my house. Actually, then I might have been in Florida because ah. not this past week, but the week before, I was in uh, Florida from Thursday through Tuesday, Monday, something like that. Really? Uh, at Dis- Walt Disney World. Mm. Hence Speaking the of- uh, the small rule joke, because that was the last theme park that you were at, huh? Uh, well, yeah, and we actually ended up living the dream of being stuck on It's a Small World. Oh, my God. Ah, nice. How long you know, you know did what it I- take? The, it took uh, six minutes. Uh, we were going around a little turn toward probably whatever was supposed to be Iceland or Alaska or something <laughs> like that. And the boat in front of us kept slowing down, and we were watching it, and it's because there were three people who they were packed butt to butt in the backseat of the boat, but they could only fit three people because they were that wide. Hmm. And the back of the boat was actually, like, dragging, on, on bottoming out. It looked like it was bottoming <laughs> out. So when it went around a corner at the slow pace that it does on, off the track, uh, it sure as hell bottomed out and got stuck in between the rails. And uh, <laughs> then we had a we had a chain of five boats just sitting there <laughs> listening to that inane, inane music. Uh, we tweeted at Walt Disney World, please God help us. We're stuck here. <laughs> send reinforcements. We might not make it through the night. <laughs> yeah, send food. I don't think you're an American if you don't get stuck inside the It's the Small World ride. And I've never even di- been to Disneyland, so Disney World. It's, sorry, yeah. Disney World. I've, it's at both. It. It's, it's at both. The weird thing about it's a small, it's a small world ride is it, it's just as boring as it sounds. Like you <laughs> literally don't do anything. You sit in a boat. Yeah. You listen to the same song over and over and over, and you watch a bunch of uh, puppets dance around. But what always, uh, or I guess recently, has amazed me is that nobody has tried to sue disney yet for some sort of like racial insensitivity due to all the different oh yeah all the different was, ethnicities it's the same as the, the one that's in california and that mm-hmm. was built in like the 50s or 60s mm-hmm. <laughs> right so it is all sorts of hilarious stereotypes 
with like fun child puppets. My my favorite is the uh, very obviously um, African natives uh, that are hunting the hippopotamus with spears. Yeah. <laughs> yep. There's no there's no way that would fly today. Like I can't believe somebody hasn't gotten upset about that yet. And it's I, not that they should because they shouldn't because it, it's totally innocent. So really, nobody should be offended by it. I'm just surprised with uh, in the day. In the age of everybody being offended by everybody, there hasn't been some college sophomore somewhere that wanted to make a name for herself. So she wrote in her school newspaper about the racial insensitivities of it's a small world. At I'm sure Disney it's world. happened. I'm sure it's been happening for 20 years now. I think they just bury everything but... under the rug like Sweden does with rape cases. <laughs> yeah. Well, exactly. Right. Everyone knows. Yeah. Everyone knows about 415. God rest its soul. Never forget. <laughs> <laughs> a, a, a date I just made up too, so I don't know what that is. Somebody told it to me. <clears throat> yeah, someone told me. That's just what I heard. I heard it was yeah. April last year on the fifteenth. <laughs> I am so out of the loop. Is that why everybody keeps texting or uh, chatting about Sweden? He said some. He said something spe- like alluded to a specific event. Like Donald who's Trump? he? The okay, president. Gotcha. All right. The president of the United States. Okay. Mm-hmm. So not right. my president is talking to his Hick supporters down in Florida. No. But he mm-hmm. said something like, you know, Sweden Friday night. And then, then Sweden was like, the whole country, Sweden was like, what happened here Friday night? <laughs> yeah. But now it's coming out that Sweden is allegedly burying the nature of their crimes and rape cases. <laughs> so people will continue to migrate so, there because they are leading the world in immigration right now. So basically... So if I if I hear that right, Donald Trump talked out of his ass, and then some of it ended up being true. So really, Donald Trump is like a Walter Subcheck running the country right now. Because <laughs> in the Big Lebowski, <laughs> all Walter Subcheck does is talk out of his ass. But there's but just enough of it becomes true that he's almost like a prophet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, is that from I guess it was from a Fox News story that he had seen, mm-hmm, right? Like just days previous. And was referenced that was later like rescinded ah. from Fox News and, and says, you know, like we're, you know, this isn't totally correct mm-hmm. uh, to how it's going. And even to where like the king and king, uh, king and queen of Sweden are getting on like Facebook and making videos about it, about like how <laughs> terrible their country is. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. we'll have to ask Ryan about that. <laughs> we should, honestly, I kind of would because I want to know if that shit's true because it's the whole like, who do you believe thing? I mean, the guy who lived there for f- six years? Exactly. Like, <laughs> I mean, he would know. I, I would think he would have some intimate where, knowledge of the And situation. where was he Friday night? <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, well, according to Facebook, he was eating tacos. Uh, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. So. Is he, he would have intimate knowledge of the situation. Not that he's the one committing the crimes. It's Muslims committing the crimes. We all know this. See, this is no, why I... Uh, just all, all of the uh, refugees... It doesn't matter where they're from. All of the refugees are committing crimes. But yeah, all refugees mm-hmm. are committing mm-hmm. uh, sexual assault and burglary. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> fact. Fact. Swedish fact. Bjorga, Bjorga. Oh, yeah, well, fact. if you didn't want so many rapists, you shouldn't put all the hottest women in the world in one country. I'm just saying. See? See? <laughs> Thank you for saying what everybody's thinking. It's about time somebody said it. <laughs> it's about time somebody brought it up. <laughs> Oh man, see, the, the, I think a lot of that's getting cut. Uh, 
Yeah, probably. This one was probably pretty, be best. pretty ignorant. <laughs> yep. And yeah, too political. Too important. Uh, keep it in. I don't give a shit. Whatever. Okay. <laughs> well, while we're rambling, we're waiting for uh, Mark Summers, host of Double Dare, to, <laughs> to be giving us a call. He should be calling us any moment. And uh, I'm excited to talk to Mark Summers because there's so many questions about Double Dare that I've like had on my mind since I was nine years old. Like... What was the slime made out of, and uh, what was the quickest way to beat Pickett? Because it seemed like everybody always had a hard time beating Pickett. Do you really think that he like actually got underneath the nose? No, but and, I, like, I was tested out theories. <laughs> right? He, he, yeah, he he like had like, oh, that might be him. He does All time right. trials on his own. All right, one <laughs> second. I'm gonna pat. Uh, one second, guys. And crazy kids, Jeff, Dave, yes, Mark Summers is on the phone. Hi, Mark. Ooh. How hey, you Mark. guys doing? So Pretty where, good. How are you? Where, where, where are you guys all located? Well, well, we're kind of spread out all over Illinois. I'm in Chicago. Dave's in Joliet, and Jeff is in Bloomington, Illinois. Uh, how much time are you doing at Juliet? Uh, Juliet, uh, I believe that's okay. Next, um, <laughs> I, just, I just work here. I just, I just work yeah, here. That's, that's yep. it. I'm, I'm an old Untouchables guy from uh, the Elliot Ness so, Ah, uh, nice. Uh, it, it is they'll, the they'll never take Dave alive. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Mark, thank you so much for calling the Nothing Important Podcast. Very excited to talk to you. I have so many Double Dare questions for you, but I'm probably only going to get around to three of them because I tend to forget as I speak. But <laughs> so if you don't answer me, I take the physical challenge. So no problem. Well, oh, question number one about uh, about double dare. I have waited my whole life to hear you tell me to take the physical challenge. So can I just go straight to the physical challenge? Actually, <laughs> You're right now. Let's do it. Rob, <laughs> let's see. Bring out some props. Here we go. <laughs> you know what I was actually thinking uh, as as we were getting ready to uh, start recording is nowadays with the popularity of the warrior run and the uh, tough mutter and such, uh, you. You could easily make a mint off of just making giant ass double dare courses, kind of like the Tough Mudder, but instead of where you got to swim in the ice water, swim in the slime, that's that's like a billion dollar idea. You know, it's very interesting you mention that because I, I was very close to a TV deal once. Ryan Seacrest and I were actually going to produce that at some point. Really? And the guy who owned <laughs> the right to Tough Mudder was like leading us on, leading us on, leading us on at the last minute, uh, pulled the project from us. And he finally got it on, but nobody's watching the darn thing. I think it's the kind of thing you want to participate in and not uh, yeah. and not necessarily uh, watch on television. But they all seem somewhat derivative of, of what we did. And instead of using whipped cream and slime, they use you know mud and uh, ice and stuff like that. But it's uh, not too uh, different other than it takes eight hours as opposed to 22 minutes. But, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I... I, I did a Tough Mudder, and now that I, I think about it, it'd be awesome uh, if at every obstacle there was just a nice little orange flag you could take home with you, and you got to stuff it down your pants and run on to the next. There you go. I, I still do that every day. I love to get up every morning and take an orange flag and stick it down my pants. Double Dare was kind of like the for, the original Ninja Warrior, though, for for kids, and you know they've grown up to actually do that now and stuff, so it's just interesting. Is that... What was the audition like for uh, to be a host 
of Double Dare? Because at the time, there was nothing like that. And going into the audition, did you know it was going to be about this? <laughs> like, oh, no, uh, the, the whole thing was a mistake, first of all. I, I, I wasn't <laughs> supposed to go to the audition. Uh, a friend of mine, Dave Garrison, who I grew up uh, with in Indiana, he was about 10 years younger than me, he was a ventriloquist. I was a magician. And um, I was working uh, the improv in Los Angeles. Uh, book on Monday nights, and I was booking him as a ventriloquist. And uh, he finally got tired of how difficult it was to make it. He was a good actor, this and that, but you know he wasn't getting any traction. He wasn't getting a lot of action here in uh, in Los Angeles. So he called me up one day and said, "I just got a, a phone call uh, to audition for some show." Uh, so the network's called Nickelodeon. I don't know the name of the show. I don't want to be in front of the camera anymore. Why don't you go instead of me? Now, I don't even do that today. So I showed up and I said, Dave Garrison was supposed to come, but I'm coming instead of him. Uh, you know, what do you want me to do? And so they had two grown-ups playing the part of kids, and basically you walked them through a physical challenge. So I did that well the first time. They brought me back for a callback, and then they brought me back for another callback. So the first audition was in June, next one was July, next one was August. And I knew they were going to start shooting, uh, you know, like September 17th or something in New York City. And back then when I was auditioning, I always used to get the name of the casting director and whatever important management were sitting there. Well, I had heard from them, and I knew they were getting ready to shoot. So I called Mike Klinghoffer, who was the executive producer at New York. And I said, hey, Mike, uh, I know you guys are starting to shoot in like 14 days. What's the deal? And he goes, funny you just called, uh, but uh, we've got it narrowed down to you and one other guy. We just can't decide who would be the best host. And I said, well, what's the criteria? He said, well, we've never seen you guys work with kids because we always had the grown-ups playing the part of kids. And I said, well, you know, I'm married. I have kids. I used to do magic shows and entertain kids. He goes, no, no, not good enough. So I'm the one who came up with the idea of flying me and whoever the other guy was out to New York from Los Angeles, auditioning in a room full of kids actually playing a full double their game, and then said, let the best man win. So I did my audition first. I left. He did his audition. He left. Two days later, they called me and they said, you got the job. And I said, so here's the question. You auditioned a thousand people in New York, didn't like anybody, came to Los Angeles, auditioned more than a thousand people in Los Angeles. Why did I get the job? And they said at the end of his audition, he looked at the camera and said, is that it? Or do you guys want me to do something else? And I looked at the camera and said, we'll be back with more Double Dare right after this. Because I threw the commercial, they thought that was more professional. And that's all. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, that's cool. yeah. so you never know. You know, look, I have been watching TV and Barker and all those guys since I was a kid as a game show host. And I always knew when you were done, you threw the commercial. And that's what I did. I, I approached it like it was a real show. And, you know, it saved my life, changed my life, actually. Lesson yeah, learned. How much of your uh, old radio career helped in that, too? Yeah. Well, yeah, I started, uh, I was 15 years old. I was working on a, a channel, uh, WBMP in Elwood, Indiana. I was doing weekends from 6 to 11. Uh, this is 1967, I think it was. And um, uh, there was a guy who I'd met on the street, believe it or not, who wanted to learn magic. There was a big magic convention in Indianapolis in 66. And, and uh, I said, well, what do you do for a living? He said, I'm, I'm on the radio. And I said, you teach me how to be on the radio and I'll teach you magic, which is what I did. And so he used to drive me up there. I do weekends six to eleven. But he at one point lost his job, and you know I couldn't drive. I didn't have uh, my license. I was too young, and my parents didn't want to schlep me up there. Uh, so I left, and Dave Letterman replaced me. Huh. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Not a too bad of a replacement. 
I don't know whatever happened to him, but no, he, uh, yeah, yeah, he, uh, he did really well. I've never heard of him myself, so I don't know. No. <laughs> yeah, so he was doing 6 to 11 uh, on weekends, and then he went more full-time than I did. But I think I made a dollar eighty an hour back then. Wow. Wow. Big, big money. Bucks. Big money, yeah. <laughs> when uh, when you were on um, on set there with Double Dare, how, how big was the actual audience? The, the actual audience was only, uh, like, was that like 50 to 100 people, if that? How big was the actual audience since? When we originally shot it in WHYY in the original set, there were probably about 120 kids, believe it or not. <laughs> then we moved it to uh, this large auditorium uh, in the same facility, and uh, it became about 300. But when we used to do it down in Orlando, it was about 500 people in the audience, and we would change the audience about every 30 minutes. So you may come in and see the first part of a show. We get rid of the audience and you see the second act. Uh, and then we get rid of them and then we bring in another group and you watch an obstacle course. Because at Universal, it was like the hottest ticket in, in its time from like 90 to 94. Mm. And so more people wanted to see it and we just kept turning audiences over like crazy. That was a huge facility. I mean, they built it specifically for us because when we shot initially at HYY in Philly, you know, it was a mess to, to try and clean the thing up. But when they built it down in Orlando, they had drains built into the floors. So they took those massive squeegees and just, you know, hosed it down and put in the drains. And we were able to turn it around in like 30 to 60 seconds. It was crazy. And just recycle it right yeah. back out of the set, wow. right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> when when I when I was little, it might have been a, it might as well have been like the gladiator pits. I just remember watching at home, be like, man, that'd be that'd be so cool. I get to like ride this tricycle all over like melted chocolate, and there'd be like a billion people in the audience, and I could win a Nintendo game. <laughs> how, how old are you guys? I am thirty six, thirty five. You're right, our target, our thirty four. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, uh, show we just did our third. Did you guys watch the thirtieth anniversary special we did? No, I'm like one of these cord cutting idiots, and uh, yeah. when I was I was super excited to to book you, and I'm like, oh man, now I got to find that because I started I started reading up on you know your background and stuff, and I'm like, oh shit, I, I got to find that, and I haven't been able to find it, but it has to be somewhere on the. Is it on YouTube? It has to be somewhere on the internet. I'm assuming all that stuff is out there, you know, in the zeitgeist somewhere. Yeah, but that that was amazing, and so they are now talking to us about bringing it back as a grown-up program on Nick at Night. It did that well. So, uh, oh, wow. Well, you oh. did a you did one at Comic Con this year, isn't that right? Yeah, right. I uh, I uh, <laughs> I had never been to one of those things. That was totally insane. <laughs> Hundred twenty-five thousand people. <laughs> I mean, these people standing in line at autographs and bringing out like pictures and um, you know uh, merchandise that I'd never seen before. It was it was totally. <laughs> cr- I mean, there are some. Nickelodeon and Double Dare freaks out there who just have been collecting the stuff since day one. It was fascinating, you know, to see that stuff. That's awesome. So, uh, how how did the reaction go for that? I mean, how? I mean, you said a lot of people were there taking autographs as such. I mean, did it feel like there was a lot of enthusiasm for people to bring the show back? And oh yeah, I mean, and then we did a uh, live Facebook feed where we actually played the game uh, from this nightclub. First, we did it with uh, kids from all that, and then we brought in like real contestants we did it like two or three times it was the hottest oh. ticket down there it was crazy that is that's amazing awesome. man so yeah so if if they do bring it back when can we expect it to be back on uh back on tv when's the target date i mean they got to have a time frame in mind right yeah we're we're uh in conversations as they say right now so uh i i, I think i don't know i'm not sure to be this year uh but i would venture to say 
perhaps as early as first quarter of 2018. But uh, we're, we're having good conversations, and uh, they're very excited about the uh, possibility. So uh, I just nice. keep you posted on that. Yeah. Are they, are they as long as Robin and Harvey are involved. They are. It's, uh, it's one of the requests that I made, that if, uh, if I come back, that uh, we have to bring the whole team back, and that includes Harvey and Robin. Awesome. Like, Excellent. And, uh, I, I just want to put it out there, and I, I'm pretty sure uh, Dave and Jeff would be up for this. Uh, we could be like a team of really lame podcasters. And, uh, <laughs> I, I, and I, would, I would take, compete against public access television. Personality. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> yeah. Or like lame podcasters versus NPR. <laughs> oh, my. Yeah, here's the NPR team. What's your name? No one important. No one important. Yeah. No one important from the Nothing Important podcast. <laughs> yeah, there you go. See, oh man, that's great. I I hope it does come back. That that's it, it's such a great um, you know, so many great memories of our uh, from our childhood. Uh, just so uh, I I just remembered uh, also too, like when it became like Family Double Dare and there was Family Double Dare. All I kept thinking was like. Well, never in a million years would my parents do any of this. Yeah, like, <laughs> well, I hear that. Yeah, so cool. yeah. <laughs> all the time I hear that from people saying, "I, you know, I wanted to audition, but my parents wouldn't do it." You know, so uh, yeah. What can I tell you? Yeah, my dad be like, "I ain't doing that shit." Like, <laughs> that's pretty much. <laughs> yeah, you got a mud well, pit in the backyard. Go roll around that for a while, man. <laughs> try it. Leave me alone. Okay, bring me another beer. <laughs> Well, Double Dare was obviously very good for you. It it it, it built your fan base. It it definitely uh, great gave you a great um, a great position as far as being a television host goes. And you went on to host more TV shows. Um, is that is that where you thought you would be doing? Like when you were a stand up comic, did you ever think like, man, I could host a bunch of TV shows and Oh, absolutely. That was, that was the goal. I mean, look, I came out to Los Angeles in 1974, 73, actually. Uh, and at the time, uh, I figured, you know, I was going to take Johnny Carson's spot. Well, little did I know about, you know, a thousand other comics from around the country came out at the same time. So I started at the comedy store in 76. I became a regular then. And I was, uh, there at the same time that, uh, Dave and Jay and Robin and Chandling, we all started together around 76, 77. Um, but the goal for me, a lot of them wanted to act, uh, but I wanted to host TV shows first talk and then, you know, game game was always, uh, in the back of my mind. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was, it was always the goal. I've been very fortunate that I've never had a job outside the entertainment industry. I've never worked as a waiter. I've never worked at Macy's. Everything I've ever done from the time I graduated college has been in some form of entertainment. I worked at the magic castle for many years in Los Angeles. Um, I, you know, the worst job I ever had. And it was still in show business was I was a disc jockey at a restaurant called the Hungry Tiger in Los Angeles playing bad disco music. (laughs) But at least I was still getting paid to be, you know, in the entertainment world and not saying, you know, would you like fries with that? So, um, you know, I, you know, I had been around for a while. I I moved down in 73, May of 73, but Double Dare didn't happen until September of 76. So it was 13 years or uh, of 86 rather. So it was 13 years from the time I got there until I landed my first uh, TV show as a host. It was a long time. See, and that, that makes it even such a better, that makes it such an even better story is because you talked about like, that was kind of always the goal was to be a host, but your very first big time hosting job happened on accident. And basically because you challenged the other person to a host off. Well, yeah, and you know that was uh, I was almost thirty four years old. I had been doing warm ups on 
oh my God, Webster and Star Search and Alice and what's happening now. I was a king of warm-ups. You know, at one point I was doing warm-ups on a show called Soap. Right next to me was Barney Miller. Oh, yeah. Letterman was doing warm-ups on that. And on the other side of me was a show called Bosom Buddies and Bob Saget was doing the warm-up on that. <laughs> so we all cut our teeth <laughs> with that. Wow. Huh. Uh, now, as a, as, as a warm-up guy, right, that's like before they start taping, that's the person who kind of gets the audience ready and comfortable laughing in that environment, right? Yeah, that's not the hard part. The hard part is when the show, you know, tapes for four hours and you have to keep the people up and laughing and feeling good about themselves. You know, certain shows, when I worked on the Alice TV show, we would be in, in and out in an hour. Uh, when I did soap, we would go to midnight, one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning, uh, and they would oh you know, want the audience to stay there. So that was, oh that was brutal. But when I was a page at CBS, uh, I used to watch the warm up guys, and I'd say, well, hell, I can do that. You know, I was working as a page on. Jesus, all in the family. What's happening? No, uh, I know it was all the family. Maude, Carol Burnett, Mary Tyler Moore, Bob Newhart, Rhoda. I mean, those are all the shows I was working on. Iconic. And there was always a guy going out to warming up the audience, and I thought, well, hell, what that that would be fun. I could do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that was the first uh, first move from that, and then stand up, and you know, you just did what you needed to do. I used to do a place. <laughs> I used to uh, judge wet t-shirt contests at a place called Big Jaws in Long Beach, California. <laughs> I lived in an apartment, 13107 and a half Moore Park in Sherman Oaks. It was $125 a month, and they would pay me $50 to MC wet t-shirt contests every Sunday. So I figured, well, hell, that's that's almost half the rent. I'm, you know, I'm going to do that. Um, so, you know, you do what you have to do to pay the rent. Um, so that's where the like, real double dare experience came from. There you go. Talk about <laughs> getting sloppy. Comments. I want to tell you, but hey. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I, I'm, I'm not just... going to lie. I would watch a show called uh, Mark Summer Judges Wet T shirt Contest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think we'd have trouble getting viewers on that deal. Uh, <laughs> it'd be, it'd be... Perfect. It'd be great. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I've had a million freaking jobs. I mean, I was a professional magician. That's how I put myself through college. And then I started a place called the Magic Castle out here. And I worked, uh, we did 24 shows a week for 140 bucks, you know? I mean, we're getting like, you know, 14, 18, 20, $24 a show. Um, And so I hadn't worked there. I worked there consistently for 10 years. And then I didn't work there for 30 years. And uh, I I went last April uh, because I was getting ready to start this one-man show that I'm doing now. And I hadn't been on stage by myself for a long time. So I played the week at the Magic Castle about a year ago. That was like insane because, uh, you know, I hadn't done magic in so long and I hadn't been on stage (laughs) performing like that. So uh, it was scary, but fun and uh, necessary because the one one man show I'm doing now called The Life and Slimes of Mark Summers, everything in its place. uh, I'm on stage for an hour and a half. And uh, it's a whole different uh, ball game. Yeah, it's fun. I'm having a good time doing it. Is that a is that a touring show? Well, we started it in Bloomington, Indiana, at a place called uh, Bloomington Playwrights Project, and then we did the Adirondack Theater Festival last summer. And I'm actually in negotiations right now to start it off Broadway. They they're talking to me about doing a tour that starts in Philadelphia. Then we do six weeks off Broadway, take it on the road for twelve weeks, and then back to New York. So we're in the middle of the fundraising uh, time right now, and uh, oh, cool. so we'll see if that uh, even happens. But you know. In the entertainment business, you have to have five balls up in the air at all times and mm. hope that, you know, two or three of them work and the other ones, uh, you know, go away. So I'm, so I'm always working it, guys, constantly. It never ends. Well, that's great to hear, Mark. I, I hope that, uh, you know, the, everything with the revival of Double Dare uh, comes back around. And if you bring the life and slimes of Mark Summers to Chicago, uh, you can bet I will be there. Yeah, we will be there. For that sure. would be cool. And we'll play the prison so your friend there can uh, can watch it. <laughs> awesome. 
Well, uh, Mark Summers, thank you so much for coming on the Nothing Important Podcast. It's been an absolute honor. We wish you nothing but the best in the future, and uh, we hope that you come back and chat with us again sometime. And thanks, you guys. You're fun. You're really good. I appreciate it, and uh, have a nice evening. Thanks, Mark. Have a wonderful evening, Mark. Thank you very much. All right, Mark Summers. He called called us good. (laughs) That was cool. Very interesting dude, right? Yeah. He said we were good. Yeah, yeah. I got it. We got a compliment from Mark Summers. <laughs> we blushed. Sorry, right, whether he meant it or not. Yeah, he probably didn't. But no, <laughs> he seems like uh, that was a good chat. Yeah, an incredibly cheery, cheerful guy. Um, you know, I told him as I was getting ready to patch him into the phone call because uh, he he's gone through some rough times. He had a you know a, a really bad car accident. Mm-hmm. Survived mm-hmm. about with con- cancer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, struggles with uh, a pretty heavy case of OCD, you know, needing uh-huh. therapy and such. And it, it was nice because I, I told him, I said, look, I, I don't know what these other guys uh, plan on talking about because we, we don't plan anything. It just goes. Are, are you comfortable with those subjects? And without missing a beat, he just very happily is like, I will talk about whatever you gentlemen want to talk about, which, which is nice. It put me at ease yeah. because, you know, I, I didn't want to. Because we don't we don't plan our chats and none of us like converse amongst each other with what we're going to say to our guests. So right. I didn't want to say like, well, if we could steer away from the cancer thing, and then <laughs> then Jeff be like, well, how was cancer? <laughs> yeah. yeah. How about that chemotherapy? Mm, yeah. Yeah. No. Right. But um, I'm, how I'm many feet it... of your intestine did you lose? Five, six. <laughs> I'm, I'm just. I'm. Glad uh, I, I'm uh, I no, guess that's I'm, cool. That. Sorry, I didn't mean to step on your toes, Jeff. You're fine, Dave. Uh, I'm, I'm actually pleasantly surprised that he was so willing to talk about Double Dare, but I guess now that they're kind of rebooting it or may bring it back, that makes more sense, but you know, because like, the show was 30 freaking years ago like, who wants to talk about yeah, shit that's, they did 30 years ago, but he's all That's about also it. what I was kind of thinking a lot of it was like okay, we all really like Double Dare, that was in our wheelhouse when we were kids yeah. obviously, he even said we're, we were the target audience then, yeah, exactly. you know, right, right that age, but I was just wondering, alright, like, when are we going to learn about his other stuff or what he's doing. I don't know. That was just me but sitting then he here worked being an in, asshole. Then he worked in some awesome stories about how, like, his stories were awesome. Yeah. Those are great. Actually, yeah. his stories were some of the best pieces. Like, you can't read about that stuff. Right. You right. Know, as, as much research as you do. Absolutely. I, I thought it was just uh, it's just a fun chat. It, it's cool because he was such a big part of all of our childhood. When I, when I saw Dave, when I went to see his band, The Big Lanyette, is that how it's pronounced, Dave? Big, big Lanyette. The big vignette, big land, yep. All right, the big land, yet, yep. Y e p. Okay, okay. So when I went and saw Dave's band, <laughs> uh, the big Dave land, yep. Like, well, <laughs> thank you. Dave even said to me, um, "What are we going to talk to Mark Summers about? Double Dare?" And I'm like, "Absolutely! Like that's exactly what we're going to talk to Mark <laughs> Summers about because." Uh, it's what it's it's what we know him for, and uh, you know he, yeah. he's a professional in every sense of the word. He worked in a bunch of uh, neat asides, and uh, it was just overall fun chat. And you know, I I hope uh, one day get to see his uh, one man show, and I hope they do revive Double Dare. I think that'd be absolutely amazing. My biggest takeaway from the whole yeah. thing is is the whole like he when he did his audition, he threw it to the commercial, like a professional mm-hmm. motherfucker would do. Because that's yeah. like that's a huge lesson that a lot of stay. people don't realize. Like if you're auditioning for something, yeah. you got to be. That's almost method. You stay in it the whole time. Yeah, stay in it the whole time. Exactly. Don't let up. Yeah. You never let your foot off their throat when they're down. 
<laughs> right, Atlanta Falcons? <laughs> Hashtag not my Super Bowl. <laughs> well, wow. with that, okay. with that, I'm uh, glad you gentlemen were there for the chat with me with Mark Summers. Please check us, uh, check Dave and I out at It's All Good Man, the Better Better Call Saul podcast. You can find that at itsallgoodman.com. Also find it on iTunes. Be sure if you're in the Chicago area to check out Dave's band called The Big Land. Yep. Way to pick it up and run with it, Dave. <laughs> Did they drop out? No, I'm here. I said it. Oh, sorry. My my phone cut out. So, oh, yeah. I, awesome. said, I said it. Yeah. He right, said it. Make, gotcha. Uh, he, make sure to stop by and see he Dave. He said it. He said it. <laughs> I love when we do All right, this. Just stop. <laughs> just, just stop recording now. <laughs> Be sure to follow Nothing Important online at nothingimportantpodcast.com. Find us on iTunes, on Twitter at NotImportantPC, and you can also find us on Facebook. Nothing Important is recorded with help from Third City Sound in Joliet, Illinois. Thanks for being awesome.